So, okay. Um, it brings us to pink, and we are doing um, patience, grace, and mercy. Okay. Patience, grace, and mercy. Um, so the patience of God, um, that perfection in which, well, why don't, I'm sorry, why don't we begin with the word prayer and ask God's blessing. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, pray in Thy good mercies to us because of our Son, uh, the great Son, um, uh, Thy eternal Son, Jesus Christ, that would bless us. For he is the sole basis of our blessing, and we can claim nothing else. Um, only the perfections of his work as a perfect person from all eternity. Um, but bless that uh, thou wouldst open our minds and grant us understanding and individually application uh, what all these uh, great truths mean to our lives individually. Uh, given our own individual circumstances. And may we grow in grace and in the knowledge of Him who loved us from eternity past because of Christ our Redeemer, in whose name we pray, Amen. So patience, uh, that perfection which God exercises over Himself, a power of control, thereby causing Him to bear with the wicked and forbear so long in punishing them, Um, because if he wasn't patient, every, every, none of us would have <laughs> ever come to faith. Um, so he's also patient with us uh, to grant us the time of our, of our sanctification, uh, the working of God. Um, so God in his voluntary actions places a restraint upon his acts by his will. He wills to restrain uh, his judgment until the proper time. Um, and uh, I think Pink also says God's patience is that excellency by which, uh, by which he causes himself to sustain great injuries uh, without immediately avenging himself. Uh, so again, great, great reminder. Um, vengeance is God's, but he, he restrains it. Uh, so it's a self-restraint. Uh, in many respects, it's justice delayed. But of course, it's not justice denied because God, because God is just, um, He has to exercise judge, judgment. Um, and it is worthwhile to always remember that God is not bound or obliged to be patient with anyone. Okay. So, um, let's look at some texts. Exodus 34. So, verse 6, Then the Lord passed by in front of him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Okay. 
who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Okay? Um, if you, if you think about the, all of these attributes as a whole and the consistency that truth demands us, um, um, you are, you are bound to a sense of particularism. A particularism in the sense that, um, God is especially patient with us. Uh, those, uh, whom He chose, Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world. Uh, and that's really, uh, um, part of the essence of the Reformed faith that people struggle with, uh, uh Again, particularism uh, particularly re- relates to Christ and the work of redemption. Uh, we have this human idea that God has to be fair with everyone. Uh, God doesn't owe anyone anything. All He has to be is righteous within Himself. Uh, so, um, I don't know if you work through those that issue in your mind, but we'll we'll begin to touch on it a little bit more. Um, um, but but again. Uh, just the idea of particularism. In the Reformed faith, uh, we believe that Christ died for particular people. Um, his, his church, his, you know, uh, if you will, Ephesians 1, the elect from uh, eternity past. Um, remember Ephesians 1, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So we were chosen uh, uh, in Christ. Um, the only way to explain particularism is just the sovereign good pleasure of God's will. He can will to do what He wants. Okay? Just like uh, you will to do whatever it is you want to do. Okay? Um, you, uh, you will to plant roses? You plant roses. Why do you do that? It's just... You you like roses. Uh, you will to bake apple pies for whatever reason. Why why don't you bake rhubarb or mincemeat? I, uh, who knows? Well, you say you like apple pie, so you you bake an apple pie. So uh, God, in the same way, acts according to His will, but His will is totally free. Uh, um, he's really the only person in all the universe. Uh, um, other than Adam and Eve before they sinned, who has a free will. Okay? Our will is bound by sin, by, bound by our nature. Our nature governs our will. When we are redeemed, we have a redeemed nature, uh, but sin still lives within us. So, um, again, it's just something you'll have to struggle with. Work through lots of texts. I did. That's my own personal testimony. Uh, but particularism is is a hallmark of of, uh, of the Reformed faith. Um, let's look at uh, Nehemiah um, chapter nine and uh, verse uh, verse seventeen. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Nehemiah nine seventeen. 
kind of use using this as a reverse. Um, They refused to listen. Um, you know, their hearts were stubborn uh, because they'd committed idolatry uh, in the wilderness and thereafter um, um, and did not remember thy wondrous deeds which thou hast performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But thou art a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Okay? And thou didst not forsake them. So, again, uh, God's, uh, God's patience. Um, Romans chapter 9. We talked some that this is... Uh, if you struggle with particularism, the way you resolve it is not by listening to me. I mean, it's just by reading the Scriptures. And you really have to read Romans 9. Um, I mean, that's to me kind of a foundational chapter to deal with the notion of particularism. So not, Romans chapter 9, verse 22, what if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So in this life, God is, God is patient. Yeah. Verse 23, He did so in order that He might make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy which He prepared beforehand for glory. Okay. Um, you see the particularism in those two verses? Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Vessels of mercy prepared for glory. God is, God is patient. He's patient because he's gathering um, the vessels of mer- that he's declared from eternity past to be vessels of mercy. Yeah. Um, difficult theology, but um, again, I think you have to struggle with it. Probably the best verse on this in my mind is Second Peter, chapter three and verse nine. Um, Second Peter This is a verse that's very important as I've shared on a number of occasions that you always have to look at uh, the context. If I get out of first Peter, I might make it. So the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Okay? So, um, if, you, if you take the you and the any and the all to be a reference to everyone, um, then the Lord's frustrated because not all are going to come to repentance. Okay. Does everybody see the theological issue there? Okay, Patience towards you, not wishing for any to perish before all to come to repentance. Okay. So the question is, 
we have to define the you contextually, okay? Um, and who is the you? Well, it's the people he's writing, uh, the churches um, in First and Second Peter. Second uh, Peter three one. This is now beloved. The second letter I'm writing to you, to you, okay. Um, so it's to the churches he's addressing. Uh, it's a reminder to me. Um, say, oh, Phil, that's that can't be the case. I mean, uh, you know, let's just junk the the concept of interpreting by context and the intent of the author. Well, then then you really have a theological problem because not all are going to come to repentance. So we have to we have to look at the you and you know the you is the church again that Peter's addressing. Um, uh, what it means for us um, is God is patient; He's slow to exercise His wrath; He's restraining His wrath until He gathers all all of His elect. From eternity past. If he wasn't slow, think about it. If he wasn't slow to, to exercise his wrath, no one in this room would have ever, <laughs> ever made it out alive. Okay? So it's, his, it's God's patience. I mean, I don't know the circumstances of how you're coming to faith. I, I know my own. Um, and, and I know the struggles I went through wrestling with these doctrines among many other things. Um, so if I can testify to certainly to God's grace, but um, you know, maybe it was a preacher, a radio program, a billboard. I mean, I don't know what your particular circumstance, but God was slow uh, so that He could in the time of His choosing bring you to faith. Because he's not willing for any of his elect to perish. Okay? So, so he's, he's just gathering his own. Thank God he's slow to exercise his wrath till he gathers his own. Um, you know, for parents in this room, um, if you lived in Oklahoma, we know in the springtime we have violent storms. Uh, sometimes they just seemingly come up suddenly. And uh, if your children are out playing outside, who's your concern for? Your children. Okay, Their safety. Now you might have a general concern for the neighbors, but your primary immediate concern is to gather your own first and foremost. You know. Well, God is going to gather His own. He's patient. And thank God that He is. Uh, this is a, it's a beautiful um, attribute uh, reminding us of, of God's goodness uh, to us. Um, so, uh, teaches us, uh, me in particular, to be patient. If God was patient with me, then we should be patient with uh you know, our children, our spouses, our our, our neighbors. It, it's just a marvelous attribute. Okay? Um, yeah. All of us in this room have things that trigger a sense of anger. 
Well, learn to be patient. If God exercised his anger immediately with us, we would have never come to faith. So, yeah, great, great attribute, I think. Well, they're all great, but. Um, so, um, uh, that brings us to grace. Okay. For some reason I want to check. Yeah, grace of God. Um, Divine grace is the sovereign and saving favor of God exercised in the bestowment of blessings upon those who have no merit in them for which no compensation is demanded from them. So, um, God's grace is... uh, he, he, He sovereignly bestows mercy on those whom He wills to bestow mercy. Remember Romans 9 which really uh, is a reflection of, of uh, words of, of, of Exodus. I, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. Okay? Um, grace is oftentimes defined as unmerited favor. Okay? You have no merit in you by which to secure the favor of God. Okay? He didn't, you know, again, God didn't look down the corridors of time and say, oh my gosh, uh, Fred... Uh, Fred paid his taxes on time. I'm going to choose him. Okay. Uh, Alice didn't beat her dog. I'm going to choose her. God, you know, there's no work we could ever do that could cause God to be favorable towards us. So it's totally unmerited favor. Okay. It's our reminder that the merit, the merit is in whom? It's in Christ. It's the merits of His obedience that God bestows upon us. Okay. So, um, um, it is uh, it is an attribute that, that we've talked about. Let's turn to Exodus thirty three nineteen. Um, and again, this, this informs the theology of Romans 9. Uh, God's appearance to Moses. He said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show compassion on whom I will show compassion. That is particularism. The will of God uh, is compassionate on whom He wills to be compassionate. Central element of the Reformed faith. Um, let's um, let's look at um, Romans three twenty four. Yeah. I'm not going to read any text from Romans nine. Being justified as a gift. Notice, gift. I'll be compassionate or whom I will to be compassionate. He bestows it as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Okay? Um, 
Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're not making another essential, really critical element of the Reformed faith. Uh, everyone in this room knows, or at least I hope you know, that we believe that we're saved by grace through faith. Okay? So faith always has to be present. Okay? Uh, the question, the question is, um, what is the nature of that faith? Well, obviously we believe. We believe what Christ did for us upon the cross. Um, we trust what He did for us upon the cross. We rely upon what He did for, uh, for us upon the cross. Uh, but the theological conundrum is this. How is it that dead men exercise faith? Dead men can't believe because they're spiritually dead. Okay? Um, faith has to be present. It is present when an individual trusts Christ. It's their faith. Okay? The question, what's the origin of it? Well, let's look at uh, Ephesians. Uh, let's look at first Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Him, namely Christ, we have redemption. Notice in Him. It's in no one else. Okay? Uh, Protestant, Protestantism today is evolving into a, you know, whatever religion you want to choose. Uh, well, I mean, that's just a lie. Here it's exposed. In Christ we have redemption through His blood. Only there, there has to be payment. There's the payment. Whose blood? The blood of Christ. Why is, what's so important about the blood of Christ? Because He's an eternal person. Only an eternal person can satisfy eternal wrath. Okay? And you do it either by an eternal person or by an eternal period of time. Uh, the word for that is hell. Everlasting judgment and justice. So, uh, God is just. His justice has to be satisfied. He makes a provision by His grace in Jesus Christ. Uh, through His blood, uh, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Okay, that's the unmerited favor. The riches of the grace of God. He didn't owe it to you. You didn't deserve it. We all know that. It's the riches of His grace. So now let's turn to an often quoted text. I, and I just want to make a simple point here. Uh, Ephesians 2. Notice verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Okay. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, judgment fell upon human nature, all of human nature. Adam was our federal head. He represented us. He voted to sin. All of us uh, fall into condemnation. Okay. And our nature became corrupt, if you will, spiritually dead. Here Paul is saying, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, I mean, we can define that. Look at verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the Spirit which is now working in the sons of disobedience. Okay. Look at verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. There's particularism. Okay. Um, now go down to 8 and 9. Um, 
Well, look at verse 5. This is really, I think, uh, just as important. I'm going to read verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive with Christ. Okay? That's how dead men believe. God makes them alive. Gives them spiritual life. Okay? Okay, so so I, I want to challenge you with this. Who's the subject of made alive? No. Now look at the text. Verse 4, But God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ. So Joanne, who's the subject? God is. Dead men can't make themselves alive. Okay? Um, I mean, let's say, you know, um, um, you know, I mean, there's some natural disaster. Um, um, EMT people are called. Uh, a dead person is brought out and, you know, they do a few things to them like, you know, I don't know, try mouth to mouth, shoot them with something. The person's dead, they're dead. That EMT. EMT person, as good as they are, can't bring them back to life. Well, we were spiritually dead. Only God can make them make us alive. And so He made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order that in the ages to come, uh, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Uh, now here's my particular point. For, I, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, so there's grace saved through faith. Faith is the means by which we apprehend what God did. So how did dead men get it? Well, He made us alive. Now notice what Paul says. And that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Okay? So even the faith that was ours that by which we apprehended who Christ is and what He did was the product of the fact that we were regenerated because dead men can't believe. And so Paul is here saying that faith was a gift from God. The very thing you needed to apprehend the Savior, which was yours, but He caused it because He made you alive. Paul is saying that faith was a gift. So, so I know some of you are struggling with this because I know I did. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that. What's the that refer to? Well, it can refer to the whole previous context. What's the whole previous context? He made us alive. We were dead. He made us alive. It can also refer to faith. And through faith, and that faith was not from you. It was a gift from God. So in particularism in the Reformed faith, Faith is a gift from God because dead men don't exercise faith. If you're struggling with that, just reread Ephesians 2 and look at the verb, you know, made you alive. Okay. Um, and again, we talked about last week, I think, common grace. Common grace he exercises to all creatures. It rains upon the just and the unjust. God 
created the sun, and the light of the sun generates life for the for the church and for those outside the church. All are all partake of the material blessings that come from God's creation. We're not talking about common grace in Ephesians 2. We're talking about God's efficacious grace. Okay, mercy of God. Uh, think about particularism when you think about the notion of faith as a gift. Uh, why do I say think about particularism? Because here's the, theolo- here's the theological, if you will, conundrum. Does God give that gift to everyone? No, not everybody believes. So why did he give? Why did he give it to you? The sovereign good pleasure of his will. You were undeserving, and he gave it to you anyway. And the basis is always Christ. Now the faith was yours. Okay, I mean let's 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 continue to hammer this. Turn to John chapter one. Um, I'm not trying to convince you. I just want to explain to you the essence of the Reformed faith really is uh, particularism. So John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. But as, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. Okay, so you have to believe in Him. You believe in Him, you become a child of God. But now notice verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You were born again by God, and the effect of that is you believed. So it's cause and effect. Uh, for those of for those of you who have children, um, um, the child uh, didn't cause his own birth. Mother and father did. Okay. They didn't make themselves alive. Mother and father did. So think of John 1.13, who were born not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's the new birth. God regenerates, makes us alive. Ephesians 2. He made you alive. Uh, it, to me, it's a profoundly humbling notion. Because in our society, pay me because I deserve it. Pay me because I'm worth it. Be nice to me because I'm worth it. That's that's our human philosophy. <laughs> you know, God, God, God doesn't God doesn't deal with us on those terms. He deals with us based upon His beloved Son, the eternal Son of God, uh, from eternity past. He's kind and gracious to you because of Christ, His Son. Um, um, so, born of God, regeneration. Think, think, if you will, the theology behind it in John 3. Um, the wind blows where it wills. The Spirit of God sovereignly causes the new birth. Okay? 
So the mercy of God. Um, turn, turn um, hours kind of getting away from us. Uh, mercy of God um, is His ready inclination to relieve the misery of fallen creatures. Hence, it presupposes sin. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 1 3. Second Corinthians 1 3. Um, so Paul is uh, obviously beginning this uh, second letter to the church at Corinth. And. Um, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Notice the phrase, the identification of God the Father. The Father of mercies. Okay, um, He is the source of all mercy. Whether it be common or efficacious, He's the headwaters of mercy. Okay. Um, the source from him. Let's turn to Titus. Um, Titus chapter three. I'm going to read verses 4 to 6. And think, again, think through the issue of particularism. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Okay, So was it based upon anything you did? Anything about you? No, it was based upon the mercy of God. According to His mercy. So there it's obviously particular. Because he, he doesn't regenerate everybody. I mean, we should be profoundly humbled and thankful, uh, hearts full of praise because God, you know, shed His mercy uh, uh, upon us. Yeah. Um, obviously regulated by His sovereign will. Again, think, think Exodus 33, Romans chapter 9. He shows mercy on whom He shows mercy. Um, he has compassion on whom He has compassion. Okay? So, that's particularism. The um, let, Let's talk about the church outside of the Reformed faith. 
Um, the church outside the Reformed faith says it really depends upon you. You have to be smart enough to recognize that you need a Savior. And you have to believe because you're not really dead in sin, you were wounded. You just need a little bit of help. The preacher needed to shove you in the right direction. Um, and in some cases, you were just smart enough to recognize that you needed a Savior. Okay, you, I, I don't know why you were smarter than everybody else, but you just—you were just smarter than everybody else. You were smarter than your neighbors. And and really, if you think about it, you were just a little bit better because you were a little bit smarter. And you, because you were a little bit better and a little bit smarter, made the right decision. Voila, you came to faith. Now you think about that. And if that's all that's true, then Christianity is just a self-help religion. You did a few right things and God saved you based upon what you did. Paul has just said in all these verses I've read, but certainly Titus chapter 3 is not based upon anything you did. Because what can a dead man do? Okay. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, our nature was corrupted. And it's our nature that governs our will. Okay. It's a very essential theological point. I mean, let's think about that in terms of the animal kingdom. Um, lions are carnivorous. That's their nature, right? Um, if you had a pet lion and you made the greatest cob salad in all of the world and set it before that lion, that lion would look at you like, are you a dummy? I don't eat salad. And he just never will because his nature is carnivorous. Okay, so in, in the garden, uh, uh, part of the judgment of the fall was that our human nature became corrupt. It was corrupted. And um, um, we, we loved sin more than God. We loved ourselves more than God, really. We became utterly selfish because we loved ourselves. And we want to take care of ourselves. Who cares about anybody else? I mean, whatever else you want to expand upon that. Uh, but, but the point is the nature was fallen. And a fallen nature will never come to faith and choose God because it's contrary to the nature that's under wrath and judgment. Okay. What's the fallen nature going to do? Always choose sin and self. Okay. Every now and then they may, they may write a check to the um, I don't know, food bank or, you know, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of good people in this world that are not in Jesus Christ, you know, they're, for whatever reason, uh, but God takes no account of those things because they don't impress Him. They don't impress Him because they're not eternal. God is impressed with what's eternal. So why it's important you to recognize Christ was the eternal Son of God of eternal perfection. Okay? Um, Um, you know, all the, the best civic deeds done uh, by good citizens don't, just don't impress God. 
Yeah, because he's only impressed by perfection. So, and men are imperfect. Uh, more often than not, they do things so they can be elected to a hall of fame of whatever, whatever. Or that there'll be an article written about them in the society page, or whatever. Um, I mean, I don't... Um, um, but our human nature governs our will, and uh, we do things according to our nature, just like carnivorous lions. Okay? So we wouldn't, you know, we were contrary to God. So how has how our will changed? God makes us alive. Based on what? The riches of His mercy in Jesus Christ. That's everything that Paul has been saying. That's what everything, every book says. So, so um, when, we, when we say, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the source of that mercy to regenerate is in God the Father. God the Son and God the Spirit. Um, you just have to struggle with this notion of, uh, of particularism. Um, um, and that brings us to, I think, the last three chapters, which is love, wrath, and contemplation. Okay? We will really struggle with particularism and I'd like you to think about it when we study the love of God. Okay. So, any, any, uh, uh, to me, this is challenging theology, but it, 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 it really comes from understanding who God is and um, who we were in Adam, fallen creatures that God willed to save. Uh, through no merits of our own. Okay. Uh, and that's grace and mercy, God's kindness, God's patience, all of these attributes coming together uh, to, uh, to make us alive. Um, think, of, think about these attributes in the terms of uh, our human character of, of uh, humility, uh, patience, kindness towards others um, because God was all these things towards us. Uh, so, okay, well, let's, uh, let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Uh, our Father, uh, we do come and we are humbled because of Thy grace. And um, pray that that attribute of our lives, namely humility, uh, would be made manifest and uh, keep us humble because uh, we were saved uh, entirely and solely by the sovereign good pleasure of, uh, of the will of God because of the riches of His mercy in Christ in, uh, in whose name we pray. Amen.